Hi, welcome to Timely Issues, the podcast. Uh, as you know, this is not the first time that we talk about this topic, and even ever since we had the first session, so many things changed. Uh, we thought that would be really the time to uh, revisit the discussion and uh, keep you updated on the developments and how uh, strategies, activities, product developments uh, can be influenced and can be fine-tuned to the um, expected opening up after the uh, virus. Uh, just very briefly, those who don't um, yet know me, uh, this is the short summary of what uh, I personally have been doing and experience in anything related to health and well-being and the combination of that to and with travel for 25 years, many of which uh, all those activities have been at uh, private sector levels, uh, many of those also public sector level, and I'm very uh, happy that I could uh, uh, have an understanding of the spectrum of uh, well-being from the wellness side to the medical side. I'm going to talk about some key issues and key topics as well as uh, some uh, obscure developments, uh, especially about the wellness side, and then I will pass the microphone on then the channel on to Irving, who will address the medical tourism uh, aspects. Uh, I think it's important that we all, we all understand the same approach and we are very much um, aligned. So just very, very briefly, um, we understand health tourism as an umbrella term that includes uh, medical tourism and includes awareness tourism with a little bit of an overlap uh, between the two. Um, this is how we look at the uh, industry or the, uh, the scene, if you wish, because uh, now we can observe there is a um, convergence between the medical side, the traditional medical side and the wellness side, and the lines are less and less clear and more like blurred, which gives more opportunities, obviously, but also uh, certain challenges because we need to have a better understanding of both ends of the spectrum. Um, I think we have to agree that uh, there are a large number of services and uh, programs uh, that can be incorporated into any travel activity, since we understand that travel as such contributes to your well-being and you feel better even if you uh, go to a business trip, if you have a cultural visit, if you have uh, visiting friends and family, uh, gastronomic trip, doesn't matter what it is, it contributes to your well-being. It doesn't make you a health tourist because you would need to be doing either a medical activity or awareness activity as a core expectation, as a core motivation. But we understand that this is where the whole industry, whole the travel industry and leisure industry has great opportunities. And then I would need to include the healthcare uh, as well, that uh, we need to look at how services, options, opportunities can be added to the current service options and service menus that can improve our guests' well-being. So that's what you can see on the uh, one side of this uh, little chart, which is the well-being improving options to any kind of traveler. And the other side is those who are core health threats, either for the medical side or for the wellness side. Probably I need to highlight just one little item here, which is a motivational uh, definition, which is what we call a self-gifting since often uh, that's more like a, a wellness trip, but we also understand that having new breasts 
often all of it would be a medical uh, uh, intervention, but it's a self-gifting activity. So the motivational side uh, comes from a very different angle. Uh, my overview in the next uh, 15 minutes, uh, it will be very much looking into the motivational aspect and less so on the infrastructural aspects. If you look at um, brochures, if you look at uh, advisors' uh, websites, if you look at operators' websites, everybody will tell you, I have five pools, I have 10 saunas, I have 12 treatment beds, and I have three yoga decks, which are all fantastic and all very nice, but especially after the COVID, when people will have a different understanding of travel, different understanding of health risks, different understanding of uh, satisfaction as well, they would really find, uh, they would really need to find out that you are offering something which is really related to their core motivation, not just telling them that you have certain elements of infrastructure. I will give you examples of that. Um, we also understand, and I don't think it's ever been more important than now, that we need to look at health span and not lifespan. When we talk about health travel, health-motivated travel, even the World Health Organization um, has been suggesting now for quite some time that we, we need to move on from the lifespan uh, understanding that how many years we are living, how many years we have more uh, left. We more need to understand that whatever we have left, whatever we are doing, it would need to be more health conscious. That's a very different understanding, uh, not just how the societies will look at themselves, but how operators as well as destination management bodies and governments, because I know we have uh, government representatives here tonight as well. Uh, we need to consider how the health aspects, how the healthy services, how the well-being improving components can be and should be incorporated to pretty much any kind of travel and how the health conscious travelers, either medical awareness, can be further improved and uh, provide more, more something which is local and uh, based on local resources. Um, I don't know how many of you have been involved in experience creation and development. This is my little toy, I, I absolutely love it. Uh, to create these experiences. And uh, I would like to quote just one or two um, approaches here because they have been changing significantly due to the COVID. Where, and one is the uh, pre-COVID uh, approach where we call it the 3S model, which is satisfaction, surprise, and sacrifice. We want, we used to want uh, um, satisfaction. We wanted to have surprise and we had very little sacrifice. Uh, especially for awareness trips, uh, it's, often very standard, we have cheap tickets, we want to have high, level, high degree of satisfaction, high degree of surprise, but we don't want to sacrifice much. Obviously, after the post-COVID, we will have a very different scenario, at, less, uh, at least short term. Uh, we will have a large chunk of these three essays now um, dedicated to sacrifice. It's percep perceptions, it's destinations, it's uh, time, it's health risks. So first of all, the barriers will be the sacrifice and not the not high enough satisfaction. That requires different kind of communication, different kind of segmenting, different kind of value propositioning. That's what I would really invite all of you to revisit and feel free to um, ask questions now or even later, uh, even off this webinar, because this is a massive challenge. There's a very different way of uh, looking at our own services and looking at our demand. 
and probably just to elevate the mood a little and since it's evening to many of us um, you know that's that's probably a, a face mask that uh, guests um, especially those who are the hedonistic end would like to wear i know it's very stupid i know it's not uh, um, very health motivating but don't forget um, enjoying a good glass of wine also contributes to your well-being and how you can do that when you're wearing a mask you have to really think about it how much of the satisfaction may go away and becomes a sacrifice um, this is a, a little bit um but with irving we have been discussing this it probably is a little bit too complicated chart but i really really wanted to discuss it with you at least to raise the point and then we can uh, revisit it a little bit later even since um, it's understood that based on all the webinars and all the forecasts research companies that travelers will look into distance we look into the location we look into brands and we look into desires and uh, based on all these uh, parameters i just want to list uh, the, the key issues here and these are do you travel short or somewhere close because you're worried you may not be able to come back or you want to go far because you want to be remote. You will go to brands which are unknown because you think it's small, it's boutique, you um, understand that it wouldn't be too many people, or you want to go to big brands saying that they have the new protocol of COVID, uh, uh, COVID um, uh, relevant protocol of cleaning processes and you trust it. You want to be uh, a place which is popular and busy because then you have all the services should anything happen or you want to be secluded and uh, being far away or as a last parameter you want to go to which is tried and proven you've been there you know how it goes you know the drills you don't want any uh, again don't want any surprise uh, want to minimize your sacrifice or you say oh god i really don't know when i can travel again i as soon as i am physically possible i will uh, look at my bucket list and I start to travel and how the health travel will fit in this segmentation approach and obviously you might say that I'll, I would like to uh, play around with those uh, uh, units and it uh, uh, long and tried or far and bucket list how can I how can I do that and obviously we have uh, this is what you need to do and this is what you need a little bit of help with uh, advisors um, I have to tell uh, to you since uh, this can be one option that you change it around a little, but soon you might find out that your wellness guests actually want to go somewhere which are uh, far away on the bucket list and they still want to have no brands whatsoever. Um, and this is, this, is, this is what you need to work on. We need to understand, we need to understand your guests in a very different way. And um, we have four options here. If nothing else, uh, try to remember these. Uh, you can create wellness illusions, which is basically just you relabeling re your spa into a wellness unit, or you wellnessify the whole process of your activities. So every single aspect of your services would be looked at and uh, recreated. You can have uh, wellness entertainment, which is basically just entertain under the wellness umbrella. You will see the example in a minute. In a minute. Or you decide that you want to be an eminent in wellness, we call it wellinent, and uh, you want to focus on one aspect of the wellness uh, approach and you do 
have everything in the forest and you do the forest bathing and you do the energy of the space and everything focused on that and you have the yoga decks in the forest and so on so eminent in one aspect you don't care about the others you do make you have to make decisions um, neither of them is better or worse they are choices you are need to look into what you have on site what you have as a brand what you have as guests what you used to have as guests and what you want to have as guests what you want to have as brand and want to want to develop uh, i really invite all of you to try to identify your existing services and also your directions and options that you have in front of you um, all right these are the, i give you a couple of uh, examples and one, uh, one specific photo will be or could be disturbing to to certain uh, people here, and I'm already uh, uh, sorry about that, and, uh, and uh, pardon for this uh, very uh, was direct uh, imagery. But I really wanted to tell you that this is a situation where, if you wanted to create wellness experiences, now you can have wellness tuna. I don't know if you tried wellness tuna and how it is a tuna which actually was well, or you would be well eating that kind of tuna or both, but it doesn't matter. You have a great challenge from the consumer world, from any part of the world, which would really challenge your core wellness proposition. That's why you need to visit which of those four directions you can do, because now you can buy a wellness tuna, you can do, this is what we call perinome sunning, and this is the photo that should you be offended by that, I'm really sorry about this, but you really need to be aware what your challenges are. And it's basically showing your private parts to the sun because this is the best way of taking energy in. It's very peculiar, it's very weird, but well, uh, this is what, uh, let's say, uh, well, um, the influencers have been banging on recently. Is it really wellness? Is it just wealth attainment? Or is it just uh, a little bit of uh, evolution? It's up to you to decide, but we need to know that uh, you have to identify your opportunities and your real market. There's nothing wrong about this. It doesn't harm anyone. It's weird, and uh, not everybody would be very comfortable with doing this. But this is what's happening in the market, apart from just having a treatment room and a couple of treatment beds. Uh, this is also part of the wellness proposition as we speak. So as this, which is a traditional healing activity in Japan, with the volcanic um, activities heating the sand, the black sand from under, and you need to have the umbrella, otherwise you may uh, be burnt, and in Asia it's not something that you would be doing intentionally. But is it entertainment? Is it healing process? Is it a heritage activity? Is it tradition? Uh, is it a natural healing process? What is this? You, you really have to make uh, your homework and, to and enlist your opportunities and then introduce them appropriately to the uh, segment that would appreciate this. Some people will come here because it's fun, it's entertaining, it's Instagrammable. Some others also will come because understand the benefits of it. And But um, both of those segments can come and even a couple more as well. It's your choice, which of those guests you actually want to keep and want to post to. So summary and soon uh, passing on to uh, Irving, I really invite you all to uh, look into, I'm sure most of you know what UX is, is user experience, but uh, we believe it's more like well-being experiences and even more appropriately 
responsible well-being experiences. You need to create those. They don't just happen. You have to orchestrate them. They are guest journeys, they are stories, they are rituals. We have to create them. We have to introduce them. That's a very different world from just operating a spa or having a couple of treatment rooms. So remember, um, to achieve all this, we suggest you to uh, understand your unique value propositions, not unique uh, selling propositions, more like unique value propositions. Have mentors, not only advisors, but mentors who can help you to implement. I'm sure uh, many of you would have lovely ideas from today, from other webinars as well, from other stories, uh, reports. But the trick is how you can implement those ideas to your very uh, special situations. You need mentors to help and to uh, help you through the changes of, of uh, the implementation and the development. And also, what are your stories? Uh, these are not just images, um, what you are standing for, um, what is the core story that guests can be related to, uh, can, guests can take home and can find themselves in that story. Again, it sounds very simple and very easy, but believe me, that that's really isn't uh, working on four continents. It's a very difficult job. It's a beautiful job, but it's, it really takes time. And probably since the business is still not, hasn't yet picked up, probably this is a time that we can and should be revisiting this. So often people say that um, uh, health tourism luxury, uh, I, if you ask me, I, it would be more like a, a necessary luxury, luxury necessity but a necessary luxury item. We all need that and we all need to pursue that, but probably, or more like absolutely true, we need to um, uh, look at it in a very different way. Um, some of these things um, will be expelled more in the upcoming book that we wrote with Irving. And uh, we give you exercises and tasks that you can follow and then you can engage a discussion with us. And we will be more than happy to uh, help you with uh, uh, your development and your journey. I'm sure I um, know it's a, a, a bingo item not talking, you're having a journey, but really this is a journey because we have to talk to our guests in a very different way. And uh, you will find out that even those who wouldn't even come close to a spa, as soon as you, they understand uh, what the well-being improving benefit of your service can be, they would come and engage and take that opportunity, even if it's not a spa, if it's not a wellness center. But since you understand the whole process of the well-being experience creation, your opportunities will be way uh, wider and your guests would have a way more fulfilling and well-being approving experience. Um, I believe this is the moment to give back the uh, presentation to Irving and he's taking on to uh, the uh, medical tourism side. Thank you. Thank you, Laszlo. Um, I think I'm supposed to take this over and I'm going to um, trust that uh, um, you all can see my screen. Um, <clears throat> uh, thank you, Laszlo. Thank you, Romilly. And thank you all for being here. We were flattered and a little overwhelmed with how many folks signed up uh, for this program. We were flattered and a little overwhelmed the last time and almost twice as flattered and twice as overwhelmed uh, this time. Uh, my hope is to take a few minutes and run through what I believe to be critical 
uh, market dynamics regarding uh, medical tourism, health tourism in the post-COVID time. Uh, if you can see here the, the reference to the book. Uh, it was a treat participating with Laszlo and the development of the book. And just as we were about to publish it, of course, uh, COVID hit. And we were very encouraged to see that uh, the vast majority of the content was relevant even in the COVID-19 environment, which speaks to the need for fundamental information about marketing. And that's our background at Stackpole Associates, a long time uh, healthcare and seniors housing. For this particular presentation, I'd like to focus on uh, more external factors and market dynamics than in particular service lines, although I will delve a little into which service lines, uh, in my considered opinion, will emerge first and which will emerge most slowly. But the factors in the health tourism and medical tourism markets and in the healthcare markets are, first of all, the external factors. And we understand what an external factor is now that we've encountered uh, the novel coronavirus and COVID-19. That is an external factor, along with the imposed travel restrictions. Uh, one cannot have health tourism if one can't get from point A to point B. Um, and then that changes as travel restrictions are lifted, how will that impact health tourism? I, I will address that. Demand, uh, supply and demand drive all markets. The demand for health tourism is driven by both the travel markets, the demand for in the travel markets, as well as the psychology that's dominant at the moment and the psychology that's likely to emerge as the markets uh, break free from its current deep freeze. Uh, supply and capacity will also be affected. The supply of uh, health-related providers, uh, are will they be there when the health travelers are looking for them? Some health providers, some wellness providers, some medical services providers will not survive the current economic contraction. So how we do that, how we manage to navigate the difficult times that we're going through now may make the difference in some cases between those who have capacity and are available for health consumers as they look up and look around and those that for a variety of reasons may not survive this, this time. Um, and then what is the road to recovery? What does it look like? Um, we've used this graph in prior presentations. So if you're too familiar with it, forgive me, I haven't really uh, gilded the lily here. I'm showing the relationship between the frequency of a certain service on the left-hand side of the graph and the acuity or complexity of the service on the other side of the graph. And as you can see here, the market for health tourism breaks down into two major market segments. 
the low acuity, high frequency side of this graph, and that's in large measure uh, the types of services and markets, uh, supply and demand that Laszlo is referring to. And then the other side, which is the highly complex, but relatively speaking, lower volume, uh, higher unit value sides of the graph. So one side of the graph refers to high volume, low unit value, and the other side of the graph refers to low volume, high unit value. In the classic, or not so classic, but in the medical tourism literature and many of the studies, the focus is on this low volume, high unit value side of the market. But I can assure you, and, and Laszlo has testified, that the high volume, low unit value is by far the larger part of the health tourism market globally overall. Um, the market factors, the dominant components are destination stability, and this boils down to perception. Um, there are a variety of measures of destination stability, um, but the bottom line at this juncture has to do with consumer perception. Is your destination seen as being safe? Not safe in a physical uh, security perspective, but clean. Uh, what's the risk that I'm going to get sick by traveling to your destination? And then baked into that question is, of course, access and travel. Can I get to your destination? Which is a critical question these days. In the travel industry, uh, as well as in the health tourism markets, there's quite a discussion about how markets are opening back up, uh, how travel to uh, where I live in Portugal, for example, is beginning to open up from certain source locations and travel to other destinations is beginning to open up. Who's opening up and where the restrictions remain these are a complex array of issues that a consumer would have to navigate if she were interested in getting from point A to point B in order to consume your health and wellness services. Another component that's always an issue has to do with economics. And in this context, it has to do with inflation. Uh, we are, by all standards, on the brink of significant global inflation. Whereas we've had an extraordinary period of stability, we will see significant inflation. We'll see uh, certainly recessions uh, in many developed economies, in most economies. And how will that impact purchase power parity? How will it impact my ability with my euros to purchase uh, services in the United States or in Argentina? Uh, the next item is capacity. Uh, this um, tragic and difficult pandemic has significantly impacted the capacity of service providers to uh, deliver health and wellness services. Some hospitals, some clinics remained closed, uh, either through external orders or because their staffing isn't available, staffing isn't available, 
or because the hospital or clinic hasn't yet made the pivot, the transition from meeting urgent uh, uh, pandemic-related demand to returning to uh, uh, elective procedures. And then finally, uh, and enormously important, is your reputation and your brand. What is the dominant uh, opinion held of your destination? What is the dominant opinion of you as a healthcare provider? What are those opinions among your key audiences? These are critical questions and will be extraordinarily uh, and newly important as we progress out of the deep freeze of COVID-19 into a recovery period and the thawing of the markets. So one of the issues in a health tourism conversation has to be about tourism and about the travel and the, and the uh, dynamics of travel in these markets. And this is very recent data from Flight Radar 24. Uh, you can all access this. It's a fascinating tracker. It keeps track of all of the airplanes that are in the sky around the world at any given point in time. And you can see that after emergency lockdown orders were imposed, the number of commercial flights plummeted to a low at about uh, April 18th and is still remained low, but it, you can see there's just a little uptick there on June 2nd. This is a seven day moving average. I know personally, I live in the flight path of the airplanes going into and out of Lisbon Airport. And recently over the past few days, we've actually begun to hear airplanes again, which is a, a treat. To put, his, to put this in historical context, this is a uh, chart that shows the seven-day moving average of total flights from May 2016 to March 2020. And you can see here how after the global lockdown, the uh, World Health Organization and other government, governmental organizations declaring emergency, the number of flights plummeted dramatically. So if you can't get from point A to point B, that's immediately uh, an issue with access in these markets. So how will this change? What will happen? So there was a famous study done by the EU back in 2006 that predicted that in the case of a pandemic, and yes, they actually did uh, do a very uh, in-depth study of this, that they anticipated, the uh, sophisticated researchers of the time, predicted a V-shaped recovery from a pandemic uh, event in the EU and globally. And in a V-shaped recovery, one would see a dramatic decline, but a rapid return to something like normal. Um, the other type of recovery is a U-shaped recovery, which is the kind of recovery we had after the 2008-2009 Great Recession. What, what we can expect, however, in this case is neither a V or a U, but something more like a Nike swoosh, as can be seen here from the estimates or projections by the World Travel and Trade Council, 
think I got that, World Tourism and Trade Council uh, analysis showing that it would be more like a Nike swoosh depending on when the uh, lockdowns were relinquished. What this doesn't take into account is any resurgence or flare-up in uh, infections uh, in any particular location. So my hunch is that there will be some flare-ups in some locations, in some destination locations, which will cause some uh, return to lockdown. So I think we're going to see a period of uh, release, lockdown, release, lockdown. So the recovery is going to be more like a jagged swoosh and a gradual uh, return. Some things won't return. So the impact on capacity in this pandemic has been significant because supply, healthcare resources was diverted to serve the demand uh, for COVID-19 treatments. So there were a period. There was a period that where few elective, non-urgent procedures were scheduled, and the question is, can we turn the faucet back on? And the best thinking about this is that some percentage, some proportion of what had been a very robust elective uh, market for health and wellness services, some percentage of that will not come back, and for reasons that we can talk about, but in order to adapt that we as providers and we as destination managers, management organizations need to adapt to those changes, not necessarily fight against them or wail against them, but to actually adapt to the opportunities that those changes present. Recent article from The Economist uh, described uh, tens of millions of surgeries are being postponed as the result of a pandemic, which immediately creates the question, well, when you open the floodgates back up, that's gonna create a surge of pent up demand. Well, yes, there may be surges in certain categories, but as I said earlier, uh, for sustainable growth, there may be some portion of the mid-market mid that will not return because alternatives have been found or because of the psychology and behaviors that have been impacted by the pandemic and the intense communications, the intense media messages around this. Uh, cases of coronavirus here where I live in Europe, you can see uh, this uh, heat map that shows where the cases have been dominant. And in certain countries, uh, uh, France, Spain, Italy, my all my respect, all the respect in the world to those those in the audience from those uh, countries, uh, they have been very hard hit by this illness, and especially with regards to deaths and the way the illness has impacted its capacity. Uh, contiguous countries, smaller countries where the illness haven't, hasn't impacted it as deeply, uh, these countries, these destinations may have a story to weave about their comparative safety and comfort. So the question is, to borrow a theme from an old movie, if you build it, uh, they will come. If you clean it, uh, will they come? If you create deep cleaning protocols and convey narrative and messages and use symbols to communicate that your uh, place is clean, 
that your clinic is at the state of the art for standards of cleanliness. Uh, I know that there are a number of organizations that are offering these standards now. For example, Timos is offering an industry leading uh, set of standards around cleanliness in the post COVID period. We'll see more of these emerge. Are they going to be enough? Uh, so what it's going to take is really testing. And I have a demonstration here. So testing, uh, to you, to quote SpongeBob, is going to be extraordinarily important. Testing will become pivotal to how a destination conveys its safety. Um, certain types of testing have already gotten into some trouble in that they have proven not to be as reliable as had been uh, hoped and expected. So how these factors testing, perceived cleanliness, access, how these are navigated by destinations and providers is represented or alluded to in this type of relation, in this type of relationship. Acuity, provider, and destination for consumers at the low acuity end of the scale. The destination is far more important then for consumers at the high acuity end of the scale. Uh, my common joke about this is certainly not a joke, but my co common reference about this is that uh, one would not go to Rochester, Minnesota in the dead of winter for serious surgery, uh, but you would go to Mayo Clinic, which happens to be in Rochester, Minnesota, and in the dead of winter is a particularly challenging place. But if you were going for a cosmetic, possibly a non-invasive treatment, you would want to go to a place that was far more uh, appealing, far more uh, in, in, in aligned with your uh, desired agenda for wealth, uh, for health and wellness. Um, so going back to this segmentation model, where I believe uh, based on our research and experience and our conversations with providers and governments to date seem to indicate that the vanity slash hedonism end of the uh, market of the frequency and acuity market will come back very quickly. Th this uh, demand for looking good has been pent up. I see a surge in demand for hair transplants, cosmetic procedures, uh, weight loss procedures, and certain other, um, certain other procedures. And in environments where the control upon visitation, the control upon inbound travelers are very strict, it will be very interesting to see how that mitigates or how that dilutes uh, the, the rate of uh, return to normal or the rate of growth of consumption in those marketplace areas. I'm thinking in particular of uh, the Gagnam in Seoul and the return of the cosmetic surgery uh, markets there. The high acuity market, the demand for immediate exigent services is certainly there uh, and will be also among the earliest segments of the market. 
to come back. Um, tentative, we're going to have a tentative uh, re-engagement by consumers. We're going to see local travel before distant travel. Um, we're going to see first vanity and hedonism market segments come back. We're going to see second very high acuity market services come back and third um, and slowly will be the middle market. And some portion of the middle market will not return. It has either moved on, it has developed new tolerance for whatever it was it would have sought uh, its services for in the past, or it has re-engaged with uh, telehealth, telemedicine, and novel ways of resolving its uh, that consumer category's demands for services. We're going to see extraordinarily tentative attitudes among um, uh, a vast majority of the consumer markets. Uh, uh, in the segmentations that uh, Stackpole and Associates have done of consumer markets uh, over time, we, we used to see around 18, 12 to 20 percent of market being what we would refer to as fretful warriors, people who are always worrying and are fretful about every detail. We think that temporarily we may see 40%, 50% of the market being fretful warriors. And how we address those individuals without being condescending or without dismissing their concerns is going to be very revealing and extraordinarily important. Another extremely important component to re-engagement is will be telehealth, telesolutions to the particular challenges that consumers are facing. And the big, big issue is fear versus risk tolerance. How we segment our markets based on these characteristics will determine which destinations and which consumers will move ahead, frankly, at the expense of others because many of the markets will open up very slowly. 